Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today, featuring a bloke who is responsible for a fair slab of the beef industry's levy money. That bloke is Michael Lee. Michael has a title, Group Manager, Science and Innovation for Meat and Livestock Australia. Michael, welcome. Thanks, Kerry, um, and hi to, to everyone. What does that title mean, Science and Innovation? What does it encompass? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting title, I think. Certainly the science, uh, I come from a food technology background, so at the heart, I, I think I'll always be a scientist. But importantly, the science and innovation, when we put it together, it, it undoubtedly is how do we make the right investments that you know rely on the science but um, unashamedly need to be viable, you know, viable for the whole industry, including obviously our farmers. But in our, our group, um, we look at lots and lots of different opportunities up and down the value chain. So, yeah, it's a, it's a group that looks at the technology, but hopefully also is, a, is there a viable innovation um, opportunity and, and business opportunity. So, in essence, you do or at least supervise many of the various experiments relating to red meat? Yeah, yeah. So very fortunate in my team. We've got, as I said, whether food techs or engineers and um, experts in ag tech, through to you know automation and and we also do a lot of investment in the in the building capability side. So so people as well. So supporting yeah. PhD students and others. So yeah, yeah very fortunate. Uh, quite a, a wide remit, but lots of lots of tech, lots of toys, lots of science. <laughs> as I said, said at the start, I think the the, the important thing is it needs to needs to have a, a true commercial application, not just a yeah. exciting science. And automatically, I guess, a lot of cooking, and we'll get to that. Uh, but you, you've mentioned a figure to me which I found surprising, if not startling, and that is 80% of the value derived from a carcass comes from only 20% of that carcass. I find that amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a, I suppose, represents an opportunity, but, but in reality, um, you know, our farmers do such a great job uh, harvesting that, 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 that beast and when we come to processing it, when we think of, you know, those great steaks like a T-bone steak and a rump steak and a cube roll, that by volume is, is effectively presenting only, um, that's around 20%. That's presenting 80% of its value. So yeah. what that shows is there's lots and lots of parts of that animal that have the right animal husbandry qualifications, sustainability, could be Angus breed, it could be, grass-fed, it could be organic, that we could leverage and do more and uh, and look at more, for argument's sake, new products and, and opportunities to use all that yeah. carcass. So MLA essentially is searching for income from sources that you maybe would never have thought of just a few years back. Yeah, and, and I suppose going back to your, your first comment there, I think the science often comes from you know adjacent sectors, so um, there might be drying technologies that are applied to fruit and vegetables. So that might enable us to look at yeah different usages and occasions to use red meat in this case instead of you know um, produce or cereal proteins, and actually get yeah a completely different market opportunity for those goodies that are inside that beast that are something different than a T-bone steak. And so yeah, we're very keen. At MLA to um, to look at those opportunities and work with industry, um, you know, effectively a new frontier. How do we how do we use all that animal, which does get used today, but get significantly more value? 
Uh, Michael, I want to spend some time on that new frontier, especially the one called collagen. But uh, before we mm-hmm. do, some experiments from the MLA list, I think, are worth a mention. Turning offal into what are called nutraceuticals, I think that's how you pronounce it. What's a, what's a nutraceutical? Yeah, so it's that, it's that area, I suppose, a lot of people are across pharmaceuticals. And so, uh, you know, the tablets and capsules that are sold through chemists and, and often you get a prescription from a doctor. Nutraceuticals is probably in the last 10 years, particularly in Australia, but very much in the US and other markets, has really grown. Um, you know, it, it really is tra- the global nutraceutical market is tracking around about a 10% you know, compound um, annual growth rate. So in terms of size, the nutraceutical market is, you know, it's going from about $370 billion today to over $400 billion, um, at the moment and continuing to grow. And so to give you an example of nutraceuticals, things, things like, you know, um, liver capsules or, or, or thyroid tablets, you know, it's that almost fusion. It could be Chinese medicine. It could be um, health and wellness trends. Um, that perhaps in the past uh, are alternatives to, um, you know, the doctor prescribing, you know, the, the typical pharmaceutical type product. So it's an interesting space that has its own unique through the Therapeutics Act, different interpretations of um, what's required versus arguably, you know, some, some really significant clinical studies that are done. But it's, it's, it's sort of the one be- between the food industry the pharmaceutical industry, nutraceuticals, the one in between is probably how I imagine it. Yeah, can you can Sorry. you get liver capsules from derived somehow from the carcass of a of a, of a beast? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And so, as you sort of suppose after around experiments, that's that's exactly what we're looking at at the moment. Is yes, there is a, a liver, obviously liver and, and some muscle and, and hearts and as I said, thyroid glands inside that carcass that traditionally have been sold as awful into many traditionally export markets yeah. as, as a chilled or frozen meat product. But what we've been looking at and been able to do recently is convert them into a powder form that effectively becomes the input into you know into a capsule or into a supplement. And so um, the liver tablets in particular, as recently as a couple of years ago, there was effectively no Australian origin liver tablets um, you know, using Australian liver. Um, beef, beef liver particularly, but now even lamb liver. Whereas now we're working with the supply chain to not just procure those cups, um, but also made in Australia those powders and capsules. And in fact, even um, exporting some of that back into the US now. Now, meat snacks, I'll, I'll get back to powdered mm-hmm. beef and meat in a minute. Yeah, sure. This can't powdered beef. But, uh, meat snacks, Michael, I'm a big beef jerky fan. What's happening here and has this is there, how's this market going or is it expanded or has it gone as far as it can go? Do you think? Yeah, look, I, I often um, probably shows an insight into meat, but I often ask the question, you know, with friends and, and family beyond beef jerky, tell me another meat snack. So occasionally, you might you might get a sausage roll or or another product, but I think it sort of showed that there's this huge snacking opportunity that we've really been relying. On. You know, our go-to product has been meats. A beef jerky, um, which for some people is great. Other people, you know, the texture mightn't fit. But to, to go back to, I suppose, the, the size of this market, you know, there's some stats showing that globally the, the, the meat snack market, so not just snacking, but um, really, really focused on meat snacks, um, is around $10 billion. And um, in the coming years will be up to $15 billion, you know, in the US. So it's, it's on a huge growth journey. 
And it's sort of around that wellness trend, you know, high-protein call-outs, which yeah. red meat includes. Um, and so, yeah, whilst you know, jerky continues to be popular, we've done some work with, with teams particularly looking at exporting back into the Middle East, um, those, those types of products yeah. with an Australian call-out and a halal call-out. Um, we have done some, yeah, some pretty exciting things. So when you think of potato chips, you think of crunchy texture. Uh, when you think of jerky, as I said, probably the texture is you know, certainly chewy. We've been able to look at that technology on how can you make effectively a meat chip. So a high-protein you know, beef or, or, or lamb product that um, has that contrasting crunchy texture. And uh, we've had some yeah, really promising results to date in, in looking at that technology going across. To, um, to the sector and, and did some work in Singapore just before COVID um, where we had some really, really positive results around consumers almost substituting nuts for this, this um, beef chip as a, as a, as a yeah, snack-on-the-go type product. Beef chips, I can hardly wait. Now. Yeah. <laughs> we're on the grill for Beef Central and we're here for Rhino Guard from Zoetis and Elvis Australia. Back in a moment. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your wieners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinocard. Available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. You're back on the grill for Beef Central. Our guest today, Michael Lee, the Group Manager for Science and Innovation at Meat and Livestock Australia. Yeah, now you were or maybe still are working on a meat bone broth superfood, which may help, mm-hmm. I'm told, or read, improve memory and learning functions. Yeah, we, we, we've done a little bit of work in, in this country, but also did a little bit of work uh, actually with, with a startup company out of South Korea who... Um, University who who was looking at I suppose bone broth is a, is a very popular product in many markets. We're starting to see its its popularity in Australia, um, you know, in place of coffee you know, for some for some consumers. But in in um, South Korea, there was this huge um, trend around, particularly on campus at university students, where two weeks to go before exams um, or, or assignments, they were effectively the shops were were ranging. And calling out superfoods across drinks and, and and products, what was missing was there was absolutely no meat callouts around um, you know the benefits for studying or, or brain. And so this company we were we were working with, um, yeah, looked at a bone broth opportunity using Australian bones, and was able to extract certain collagen quantities as well as importantly zinc levels. And so. 
Um, for your listeners, I think often people know Australian red meat's a, you know, well known for its protein, but also it's a great source of, um, of zinc. And that, that has some really proven links around, um, you know, improved memory, learning function, cognitive ability. So yeah, we're looking at almost going back to that opening comment. How, how do we get those goodies out of that, that carcass? Yeah. Not just does it taste well, but why not look at an application like a drink? I can, I, can, I can imagine the slogan, get smart, eat beef, or something like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> now, MLI, I understand, is also working on uh, foods, red meat, which um, uh, change the mood of the consumer. Yeah, so this, this one's um, a, little, a little bit out there. I, I probably, for your listeners, um, if you allow me to give a bit of context there, today how we map the carcass typically is around, you know, how do we talk about the, start about the T-bone steak and, and cube roll into rib fillet, you know, they, they have an excellent plate profile. They eat really well, juicy, tender. And we've got that Meat Standards Australia program that looks at the different cuts and cook methods. So we, we effectively can map that carcass based on its eating quality, its way that it presents on a plate and, and or, or a tray at the supermarket. But what we've been looking at recently is, uh, and probably the example I'd give would be around mood food, is that, you know, when you buy a chocolate product, most people, it's it's for flavour, but there are ways you can look at the melting point of the chocolate, which actually they've done a lot of science study that says that links to them. The, a person's mood changes depending on the quality of the, the chocolate. Effectively, chocolate can be graded based on its mood uh, as a mood food. So hopefully I haven't lost everyone at this stage. So what we're looking at in the carcass is saying the consumers who are looking for a comfort food, uh, a pick-me-up food, you know, food that makes me happy, happy, horny, sad, whatever it may be, Kerry. Um, at the moment, we're, we're not able to, I suppose, profile the meat and the cuts of meat to meet those types of, you know, emerging consumer trends that saying, you've done a great job, Aussie industry, around giving me a juicy, tender piece of meat. But what I'm looking for is something that arguably could improve or validate or um, change my mood. And so what we're looking at, as I said, is, is mapping that carcass for these mood cues, which might link to different sensory traits, might be different nutritive traits, you know, uh, might be certain cuts that have certain amino acids that actually have a link to, you know, triggering the brain into that makes me feel happy, sad, uh, or obviously or the opposite. <laughs> um, or, so we're, we're or just a better yeah, mood. Sorry. I know a few people who can do with a few kilos a day. Actually, right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, I, yeah. I should put the mirror up myself. But <laughs> but but I suppose the, the one I'd probably say to your listeners is if you think about you know what's your go-to product on a rainy day, what's your you know dish or what's your go-to product. You know, back in the day when I was playing sport, what would I want to eat to get me in the right zone, the right mood. So, so the logic I think has been around for a long time in food. It's just in meat. It's probably a bit of a paradigm shift to say, you're telling me now, you know, we could have a certain cut of meat that, yeah, changes my mood or helps my mood, and that, and that's a that's a pathway where where we're using an applied science approach to say, it's that classic thing when we look at investing. Yeah, you know, should we do this? More importantly, is the question then, can we technically do it? Yeah. And we're at that discovery stage now. Mm. Look, I'm getting to collagen, which I think is a very important topic, but a uh, mm-hmm. simple question here. The issue mm-hmm. of plastic in our packaging packaging at the point of sale, uh, no, I'd suggest I'm an average consumer, but it's still a concern to, to, concern to me as a consumer to see 
a lot of plastic or apparent plastic in our packaging. Is there anything being done about this? Yeah, it, it definitely is a, an area of we're, we're investing in. Um, again, the, the food industry, whether it's it's drinks or meat products or, or ready meals, packaging plays a great role, yes, to market the product, but importantly to ship the product around, not just Australia, but around the, around the world. So packaging is needed for, for shelf life and, and integrity, tamper-proof marketing, but certainly you know, we need to look at sustainable options um, other than landfill, and you know, seventy percent of our meat is, is typically exported, which goes in a box, you know, in a vacuum packed bag, soaker pads, things like yeah. that, which are, are, are all important and justifiable solutions. But uh, as you've alluded to, we, we've identified, you know, future even market access um, restrictions. Yes, you know, we, we need to be uh, we need to be thinking of that. So um, when it comes back to to experiments, uh, as you sort of asked, that we've been looking at. Um, you know, we've gone extremes looking at films that are edible, films that are made from from silk, so from moss. So we've looked at, yeah, I suppose natural alternatives to plastic through to, which we've had some really great success with the retailers here in Australia, is how do we use um, less plastic, more paper pulp, more, more board. Um, so, you know, there's been some recent changes yeah. with some meat trays, you know, 30 to, to, to 40% less plastic purely by, Changing the layers of plastic and paper pulp, um, recycled paper pulp in, in the in the pack. So yeah, definitely an area of focus. And, and pleasingly, you know, from an MLA perspective, the whole the whole sector is working together. You know, the leading packaging suppliers, retailers, um, processors, brand owners. I, I think you know my my two cents worth. I suppose is the tech seems to be coming, which is great. But we do need to work together because there's a lot of plastic. Recycling opportunities, you know, at the household through to the processing sector. So we've got to get the raw material input right first, and then consider, you know, um, how do we reuse, recycle? Which, which is different when you're supplying hundred odd countries around the world. How do you, how do you do something? How do you get that plastic back or that packaging back? So you're moving towards um, recycling as the major issue, rather than the complete replacement of the packaging component of the retail red meat. Probably, yeah. Probably reduction would be the first priority. How do we how do we use less? And then the second side will how do we reduce the waste of that? So if we are going to use it, what do we do with the waste? You know, particularly you know at the at the factory sense, and how do we repurpose that? Yeah, as I said, through to quite novel, innovative new new materials. So I don't want to scare people that oh. you know moss and silk is our solution, but that was I suppose as an example of let's let's open with open eyes, look at this and. And one of the one of the things we, we recently did, Kerry, was um, actually worked with a US startup company where we made a, a meat tray made one hundred percent out of food waste. Um, so replaced effectively the plastic resin with a food waste um, origin, and, and obviously meat is part of food waste. So so that's the other area that you know whilst we we want to do you know um, uh, the right thing for our sector, the meat the meat industry, we are part of the wider food food industry, and that includes. You know, repurposing all of food waste and packaging waste. So, uh, a couple of quickies: uh, powdered beef mm-hmm. is that on the agenda anywhere? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, I suppose a couple of things that we said at the start. I mean, we are doing powdered um, liver, so some offal product that goes into nutraceuticals. Um, we are, we are looking at powdered beef, and probably in two two perspectives. One, you know, beef's got this this wonderful natural flavour extract. 
um, that you could add to lots of things, soups and, and noodles, stock, which sadly are often a meat mimic, you know, made from, you know, hydrolyzed vegetable protein powder. So how do we give consumers a natural meat extract that actually is derived from meat? So that's something we're doing in powdered meat is an obvious version there as an extract. Is it a meat? But we are sort Yeah, go on. I was going to say, and then sort of, sort of flavour extract as a powder. Yeah. And but secondly, um, as, as just basically a supplement, an ingredient. And so whether that's for you know the, the ageing population and, and seniors who struggle to, to chew, how do we have you know the goodies of protein, iron, and zinc that come from come from red meat in a format, you know, a, a, perhaps a moulded product that is got a powdered red meat component rather than a muscle component from red meat. Um, so there's lots of work getting done there through to um, we're even looking at uh, if someone wanted a mince product that had a boost, like a functional boost of extra iron. You know, I think all of the stats show one in three women are low in iron. So whilst we'd love um, you know, that opportunity for people to eat red meat more, if you are going to have red meat, a mince product, why, why not boost that mince product with perhaps some powdered meat um, that's got extra iron? And protein in there, so the consumer has a more dense consumption of a product. So that there, the sort of I suppose initial couple of examples. But I suppose the big challenge um, is you know whey protein, soy protein. That whole sort of supplement market is a huge, huge industry. And what we've been looking at is here we are with a beef or a sheep meat based powder that is actually soy free, gluten free, dairy free, and so in amongst amongst the the um, powdered market. There's a huge opportunity for arguably a niche, which is all around about allergen-free. And so, uh, again, starting with red meat, we have no soy, no dairy, no lactose and other things that often a whey protein or a soy protein is up against. And so, so that, some of those markets are huge that we can get a niche, niche part of. So, Michael, let's talk about collagen. I know collagen mm-hmm. is the major protein in our body. How exciting yep. is the potential for the use of collagen from the Australian beef industry? Yeah, look, to, to give it some context, the, um, the, co- the global collagen market is around $6 billion in the US, and by 2030, it, it's forecast to grow you know, nearly $11 billion. So it's, it's this huge trajectory around wellness trend and collagen, whether that's collagen you know, for, for your face and, and wrinkles, you know, prevention through to collagen, which has some benefits around um, your, your gut health. Um, it has a huge number of benefits. But what we found is where we're getting it from is, is the most, I suppose, exciting opportunity we're seeing from our sector is when you think of cattle and sheep highs and skin, traditionally go to the leather market. And we've seen some, you know, some quite significant drops over the years. Yeah, the hides are worth nothing now. Yeah, yeah, or, that, or, even, or even less. I mean, the heavens don't tell yeah. me we're finding a, a use for animal hides. What well, skins? Well, that's, a, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is, yeah. is I'd probably call it cyclic <laughs> at, yeah. at best. But but even things like hides, you know, particularly up North Queensland, you know, that, that are tick affected. Yes. Um, so they they really were never an option for the leather market. Um, we've made some some amazing um, high quality collagen powder that's coming from. Not just tick affected hides, but but lamb skins and and um, and beef skins. That is really an alternative now to the leather industry. And so, uh, as I sort of said before, here's these protein powders or whey protein powders, collagen powders that have come from over the years from marine or pork, 
um, options. And typically the beef collagen has come out of Brazil. So finally, and, and Europe. So here's a chance for Australia with our BSE-free, you know, allergen-free product that we can make this high-quality collagen product for many markets that um, go into products like coffee supplements, bars. We talked about snacks earlier. So bars through to even beverages. So, so you know, things like collagen drinks um, through to cream. So it's this, you know, that word I used before, the frontier, it's a, it's a great example of a new occasion, a new usage the something that's derived from our industry um, that is absolutely incremental. And so uh, late last year was our, our first shipment, Terry, with the the um, entrepreneur we were working with and tech provider of um, Australian organic collagen that came from some grass-fed um, organic um, beehives here in Queensland. So it's, it's definitely an area of we have been investing for a number of years and we're now starting to see the the benefits of and some sales in that area. Grass-fed organic collagen. Well, it, it sounds good. Now, you, it's placed into drinks and it's good for the gut. Is, is, that, the, is that the go? A- absolutely. So I think, as you said, um, you know, it, it's naturally in the bones and the muscles and the skins of the, of the carcass. But us as humans, you know, it's fantastic for your skin, your nails, gut health, and those types of, um, types of attributes. So... Yeah, I think next next time you walk into a chemist, there there literally could be the meat industry derived, um, you know, creams and and drinks and other things that traditionally, as I said, is a completely different sector to um, walking into the meat department or your butcher. And especially something to do with the hides and pelts that are now um, used as landfill. Absolutely, and and, then, and that's the thing. Our, our farmers are doing such a great job, sustainability wise, on farm. You know, we need to take that approach um, up and down the value chain, and, and yeah, certainly, certainly any any option that you know gets not just better value but reduces um, you know bearing hides or skins if, if that happens from time to time. That's that's certainly uh, an option we need to explore. Continue to explore. Now, is MLA invite, uh, involved in three D printed beef? Is it happening for you or anywhere in Australia? Yeah, look, we we've had a look at that. That technology platform, and so um, yeah, so, so so I suppose the way I looked at it is yes, MLA has looked at it. Um, we have actually we talked about powdered meat. We actually can make arguably a meat ink that can print you know different shapes of three D printed food. We originally saw a, a really exciting opportunity probably five six years ago uh, in Germany where they were adding if you could sort of stick with the meat ink idea, um, adding other things like carrots and other pureed whole foods so that you could effectively make, you know, pasta shells and other products for for, for aged care um, residents that, you know, had dysphagia, could have had yeah. problems swallowing. So rather than get, you know, with, with all due respect, some of the offering I've seen with, you know, mush and gravy on top, they were there was that dignity restored. There was, you know, these beautifully crafted pasta shells that basically had made of you know, meat and vegetable and, and some cereal proteins. And so that was exciting, but I, but I think this is a really good um, lesson, I think, that MLA, we, we try to always look at is, so technically it works. So you'd say, you know, can, can this be an area for further investment? The answer is yes. But that overarching question, should we do it? Oh, we, we really struggle yeah. to see why. Why are, we, why are we converting meat into a powder 
yeah. then to make a 3D printed product. Why not turn that powder into a nutraceutical tablet? You know, so so yeah, our, our investments have wound back in that area. But, but the final comment I'd say is that the 3D printing area, you know, I think it's a little bit more about, you know, someone wants to, to um, print a part to fix a, a, a tractor piece yeah. would arguably be the first time our farmers see the use yeah. of 3D printing and then the restaurant. I noticed years ago there were a lot of startups all over the world with 3D printed beef uh, promising the world, but they simply haven't materialised. So I'm suspecting they, when it came to the taste test, that failed. Yeah, I think the texture, yeah, the texture was, was difficult to sort of build, and, and the, but also the cost. And the cost, I mean, yes, the, the cost and the taste. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe maybe keep an eye out for the next MasterChef episode where you <laughs> yes. want to be you want to be creative. But I think do we do we envisage um, every restaurant, every butcher doing a three D printer at the back? I, I would say no. Um, uh, does uh, does uh, MLA still involved in uh, pulling heart valves out of cattle for the use in humans? Yeah, look, at, at this stage we we don't have any investments in that in that stream. Um, certainly, industry. Yeah, there's some commercial, um, you know, op- options and opportunities that people are exploring that space. I think, I think again, it comes back to his his offer or, or you know the byproducts. How do we create and capture yeah. the best possible value? But, but yeah, Kerry at the moment, no, we, we don't have any investments in that that space. It's all for people outside the MLA private enterprise. I'm sure they're doing it, but does the industry generally still have an appetite for what make, might be called a blue sky research where there's a higher chance of failure than success but the the success takes place it's outstanding do you still have an appetite for that yeah look I, I I've been very fortunate in my in my career to sort of spend time at you know different sides of the fence you know in, in the retail world through the research part here at MLA and I, and I have to say you know there is definitely the the, the, the patience and the resilience whether, whether the industry is looking at genetics through to, you know, exploring 3D printed foods. I think the, the interest and the appetite is to have, you know, a portfolio that we're willing to fail, which which I, I think is an amazing privilege at MLA that we have. But importantly, we need to have a balanced portfolio that, um, you know, these investments are, you know, we have some, some ones that are a little bit closer to home and sure wins that we're just trying to help that last moment industry adopt through to we do need to take risks you know, in that blue sky area to look at new growth and, and productivity improvements. And, and yes, we do, you know, we we're fortunate. There are industry partners um, that want to work with us on that journey. And there is the research community as well that also invest in that area. So, yeah, I, I think, Kerry, yes, we do do have some pretty exciting out there um, science uh, novel technologies. But importantly, that value proposition is, it has to be crystal clear of, why are we doing it? Not just we're on a world of discovery and see what happens. I think those those days have never been applied to our sector. Uh, Michael, uh, fascinating to talk and even more fascinating to listen. Michael Lee is the Group Manager of Science and Innovation for Meat and Livestock Australia. Michael, thanks for your time on The Grill for Beef Central. Thanks very much. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been The Weekly Grill brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis.